Hey everybody, this is Los Angeles-based jazz vocalist Sarah Gazarek, and you are listening to the Behind the Note podcast with Chris Davis. You're listening to Behind the Note podcast, brought to you by a musician for musicians. Here, you will get advice toward a successful music career. This show is made to educate, inspire, motivate, and empower. Now, here is your host, Chris Davis. Hello, thank you for pressing play on this episode of Behind the Note podcast. It's going to be a great show for you today. We have a great guest, and today we have somebody who has had success as an independent artist. This person stays working. Uh, They figure it out how to just keep the schedule that they desire. Uh, They've toured internationally. They've been featured on The Voice. Yes, that's right, NBC's The Voice. And also, they have also uh, spoken at conferences. I like that personally because I think a musician must be diverse and you stay within uh, music but you must be diverse and so speaking at conferences is awesome to me I, I just love that so we have somebody who's diverse who who knows how to work and today he's going to give us some tips on just how to work more efficiently I'm happy to present to you right now Mr. Austin Ellis Austin, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. So we want to get to know you a little bit before we talk about the, the music business. So we want to ask you, what do you do for fun when you're not working on your career? <laughs> That's a good question, man, because, you know, if you want to be successful, you got to work a lot. So finding a, finding a balance can be a challenge at times. But, uh, you know, I'm pretty... Uh, I'm pretty normal. I like to travel, you know, take trips, but I travel for music. So that kind of, you know, fills that. Um, but I like movies and FIFA and hanging out with my friends and, you know, seeing my family. Uh, I like good food, you know, just simple things, man. And where are you based? Where do you live? What do you call home? Uh, I live in Annapolis, Maryland, right by the Naval Academy. Tell us your story as far as when did your musical journey begin? Uh, sure, man. Um, you know, I started as a really young kid, just really gravitated towards music naturally. And then um, once I got into middle school, I started singing at like the all state level and started getting a little more serious. And then uh, my dad always had guitars laying around the house. So once I got to high school, I, I picked it up finally and started teaching myself. And then next thing you know, I was playing at, uh, you know, some local open mics and that sort of thing. And then a few older experience, you know, professional cats sort of, you know, picked me up and took me under their wing and taught me how to make a living out of it. So by the time I was going into college, I already knew what I was going to do. And I went to school for music business so that I could, you know, support myself um, after college. And and since then, uh, that's what I've been doing. So you decided pretty young, pretty early that you were going to become serious about music as a career. And that's rare. So what what clicked for you? What experience helped you to come to that conclusion? Well, I mean, there's, there's two sides of it. One is, you know, the love and passion for music. You know, that's something that I had in me inherently and my family, you know, facilitated just by being music lovers, too. Um, I had a really powerful experience uh, in my adolescence where one of my close friends on my football team kind of tricked me into joining like a Methodist, predominantly African-American, you know, church choir. And uh, through through that experience, I, I really 
I started to understand how music can help heal people and, and myself. Uh, so that was more like the spiritual side of things. Um, as far as the the business side and when it became feasible as far as a career, really, like I said, when those older guys started taking me to their gigs and I would set up their equipment, maybe play a couple songs during their breaks, and then ultimately, um, you know, taking over some of their gigs or filling in for them and then, you know, meeting with agents. And the next thing I know, I have a full schedule. But the first time that I played my own full gig, which was in Washington, D.C., you know, I'm maybe 18 years old and, and someone hands me $300 after playing for a few hours in a bar um, after working my whole, you know, since I was 13 years old, making minimum wage or, you know, a, maybe a little over minimum wage. I just did the math and was like, wait a second. <laughs> so you're telling me that I can come and play for a few hours um, and make more than I would make at 35 hours from Bank of America in one evening? And then how many evenings could I do that in a week? And then, you know, it doesn't take long to uh, sort of say, OK, then this is really possible and it's way more fun than, you know, busting tables. So let's uh, let's see how far we can take it. Yeah. And that's something that I think most people realize eventually at some point, at least the serious musicians do. And one challenge can be. Uh, putting a, a a string of work together you know you don't want sometimes you'll play one night and you might not have anything for a few nights so what did you learn uh to to overcome that and there's just no substitute for hustle and hard work so i mean i i went through uh probably you know my college years where i wasn't in one place long enough to really establish so i had to sort of build and rebuild every you know summer break or winter break and try to fill in as best i could and that was it was hard i'd, I'd get my i'd get my butt kicked a little bit in the early years where like you said you know it's like you'd get a little momentum going and then next thing you know it's you're on a a, a few weeks without a gig and, and you're scrambling to make ends meet that sort of thing um but you learn if you if you stick with it you learn how to how to work with with venues and agents and how to build a you know a network where you can support yourself and then once i graduated you know that really gives you once you can be in a geographic location and really establish yourself in the music community um from venues to other artists and so on then it's a little easier uh, you still have to build it from the ground up which i mean i started playing at like pop bellies for twenty dollars an hour at lunch shifts and i would do five of those a week just to make that two hundred dollars that i could get consistently and then try to fill out my evenings and the rest of my schedule um with the higher paying you know uh, bar and, and and restaurant uh gigs and <clears throat> and i was able to do that but you know basically you just got to get out there man and you got to be willing to play every day and every night if you have to if that's what you if that's what you have to do to to establish yourself and then once you you know like you said once you make a name for yourself and you uh and you show that you're professional and you're consistent then it becomes a little easier then you sort of get to shape and mold the your lifestyle and, and your schedule um sort of to your taste rather than just taking anything you can get yeah that's really cool i i like the fact that you said you were moving you had to move a couple of times and start over from scratch and i think that sounds like a blessing because you get to learn how to do things deliberately and perhaps maybe even find out the science behind it all if i can say it that way so what are what are some of those things you have learned that if i do 
A, B, and C, then I'll get X, Y, and Z. And I know there's some things that won't always happen for you, but I've learned that it's a numbers game. Um, sure. So, like, for example, if I reach out to 10 people, uh, I might get one that says yes right away, and then two and number three will trickle in later. So uh, what what have you learned about that, how to make things work? What do you need to do first and second, for example? I mean, you got to understand that you're you're a business and you're technically sort of a, a product or a service. So just like anything else in the world, you know, in order to sell a service, even if it's business to business, which is basically what you're doing when you're working with a venue or, or a bar or restaurant, you have to have presentation. You know what I mean? You have to you, sh- you should have your main things in order. You should have a web presence. You should have a command of speaking about what you offer and the type of music that you play and, and the sort of crowds that you can tailor to. Maybe have your um, musical selections um, you know, in, in a presentable form for a venue, even if it's just an email format, you know what I mean, or just sending them to a link uh, where they can where they can view these things. That's number one. I mean, you got to have your business presentation your business card if you will but it's it's broader than that obviously and then number two is you know doing the research and and sort of cultivating a network which is hard you know you gotta but the internet these days you can just search you just find all the places within 30 miles of you that have any sort of live music and then call all of them (laughs) um and and then the other thing that helps and i think it's just probably under uh appreciated because sometimes you get in the mindset where you just want to do everything yourself and, you, you know, you're like you're on your own and blah, blah, blah. But if you can spend if you don't have any other gig, you know, a paid gig, then go to an open mic every other night that you don't have one. And eventually you're going to meet other musicians and see where they're learn where they're playing and and they'll help you get gigs and they'll introduce you to agents, um, you know, regional agents who book all the restaurants and bars in, in a whole city. And then next thing you know, again, sort of presenting yourself, showing that you're a hard worker, showing that you're consistent, going out and getting some for yourself, networking with other musicians to help learn where to get those gigs, and then ultimately working with some agents and people who can do it on sort of a macro level to really fill out your schedule. Um, if, if you combine those things, I mean, you can you can easily play, you know, four, five nights a week if you really hustle. And if you're in a market, you know what I mean, in a, in a geographic location that can support that. Thanks for that great advice. So there's so many ways to earn a living as a musician. For example, you can compose or you can perform and you can teach. How do you earn a living as a musician? Well, um, you know, that sort of thing, it changes over the years depending on, you know, what you're doing and where you're at. I mean, when I was starting out, you know, it was primarily performing at, uh, you know, bars, restaurants, and like I said, even sandwich shops if, if they're paying and then once I really got in, once I could establish myself after I graduated, um, then, you know, you have the option of creating original material um, and, and packaging it well and presenting it well and performing in places where not only at the places where they're already paying you to play. And, and yeah, you may sell a few CDs uh, while you're there, but also sometimes when you play those open mics, in addition to the networking, those are audiences that are more compelled to support local uh and and up and coming art and and talent so you know say you play in an open mic and yeah you might not make any money you know guaranteed but if you sell 10 cds ten dollars a pop i mean that's still a hundred dollars on an evening when you weren't planning on making any money and if you do that twice a week and then you have maybe one or two paid gigs next thing you know i mean if you can if you can make 750 to 1250 a week playing music 
I mean, I think that's a that's a realistic goal uh, that people, if you're if you're working on your craft and you're committed to it, that people can strive for, and that's that's a pretty good living. And then you know, once you once you establish yourself in in those areas, and then you you sort of are an artist, you sort of are a known entity and, and as a professional, uh, then you start to graduate into the higher paying performances like. Uh, colleges, uh, casinos, uh, private events, weddings, corporate events, festivals, fundraisers, these sorts of things. And at that point, um, the math, as long as you know your worth and you're willing to, you know, you got to sell yourself. And so you have to, you have to value yourself and understand that, you know, just because you're used to making $150, $250 at the bar restaurant doesn't mean you should charge a wedding $250 to play. I mean, they have a pretty serious budget for that whole thing. And so does a corporate event. And so does a, you know, so on and so forth. So, you know, being willing to say, oh, yeah, I'm worth $1,000. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Like a lot of people are really uncomfortable with that, especially artists. Um, so you have to, if you're not willing to speak up on your behalf and, and ask for your worth, then you need to find somebody to work with you to do it on your behalf, because that's, that's the only way you're going to get out of like the, the circuit of, of sort of, you know, cause after a few years, the four or five nights a week sort of thing can wear on you. So you want to, you want to continue to strive for higher, higher value, uh, lower wear and tear on your voice and on, on you emotionally and spiritually as a performer. And then you can get into some pretty, I'll, I'll just say comfortable financial situations. You know what I mean? Where instead of making that 750 to 1250 a week, you're making 750 to 1250 a show and it can change the, the dynamic of, of your lifestyle and also give you more resources to reinvest into your content and into you as a as an artist in your next release and your band and so on and so forth i love what you said reinvest in your content I, I love that i believe in always creating something new that's what we're here for anyway to share with people um so all right i have some questions for you, you said a lot there thank you this is awesome what to you is a successful release because i know you've had some successful independent releases so I would like for you to answer the question first. What is what is a successful release for Austin Ellis? And then tell us how you were able to uh, have those successful releases. Well, you know, for me, um, it starts with you being happy with the music that you're putting out and the artwork that you're putting out and the website and, you know, the, the campaign that you're putting together. If you feel like it's good in quality, then generally speaking, the people that connect to your music um, will see that same value. Because if they like your music and they like your style and your music, the, the new recordings or the new release, really you identify with it. So therefore it represents your style, then they're going to identify with it. So I think number one is to make sure that you're really happy with what you're putting out because I've put out things that I really loved and then I've put out things that I've sort of rushed out and I can tell you that the rush out thing, it's like a it's like a regret. You know what I mean? It's something that you have to live with for forever, basically, versus when you really um, get it how you like it and, and feel good about it. Then there's nothing but pride. And, and that that comes through in, in how you uh, how you perform and also how you can how you sell it. Not not like a salesman sells it, but how you people pick up on your energy and how you feel about what it is that you're doing. And if you're confident and feel great about it, then they're going to feel confident in buying it and, and, and supporting you. And if you're shaky and sort of, you know, uh, 
you know, trying to put it to the side because you know that deep down you don't feel connected to it, then they're going to feel that too. And they're not going to, you're not going to be, they're not going to hop on board as easily. As far as strategy and, and, you know, numbers and what makes a success versus not, I mean, I've always been pretty quiet about my, my releases. I've never been one for like a big, like hubbub. I, I sort of like to sort of slowly, you know, make sure that I'm on the same page with it and everyone else is. And then by, by sheer volume of the amount of work that you're doing as far as performances, like between, you know, the, the live paid shows, the open mics, and then the, you know, collaborative, you know, collaborative shows, you know, when you have multiple artists on the bill for a venue, building sales over a year, say, say you, you sell 2000 records, well, that's 20,000 extra dollars that year. And if you're if you got your manufacturing costs down to a reasonable amount, I mean, that's at least, you know, 15 net, you know, on top of, say, if you're doing 45, 50 a year from really working at it, that's going to that's a ser- that's successful. <laughs> and, and that can happen again if you're sort of I mean, just from experience based on what I've been describing is sort of how I did it. It's it's pretty realistic. You know, if you're playing 100, 150 shows in a year. Um, if you're selling three to five CDs on average at each one of those shows, you're going to put up some numbers that year uh, and it's going to help your bottom line and it's going to help spread, you know, your name and, and your music and build your fan base and improve your life. So I met you at the DIY musician conference in Chicago. Uh, man, I think that might've been two years ago now, man, time flies, time does but, fly. <laughs> but, um, uh, you were speaking. You were one of the guest speakers at that conference. Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering, how do you go from musician being a musician to speaking at conferences? And is that something you do regularly? All of the opportunities that I've had to to speak, you know, and, and been nominated for some awards, which have put me on stage in a similar sort of way to do Q&As and, and, and talk to you know, other artists and, and just other industries and other people sort of they typically come from one of two things and one sort of comes from the other. It starts with, again, there's no replacement for hard work and hustle. So you have to be out there. That's where opportunity is. Opportunities out there. You know what I mean? So if you're not putting yourself out there and working, then you're not going to get as frequent opportunities. Um, once you once you sort of like I was saying, you get past sort of the the, the minor the minor minor league and you start getting into you know where you're a known entity you've got a release you've you've, you've been playing consistently over a couple of years you're you're doing it people see that because just like all businesses in America you know there's a really high percentage of failure there's a lot of people who start and then quit there's a lot of people who only do it a little bit so if you're really getting after it um people will see that and they'll seek out your advice. And it's only a matter of time before, you know, somebody who has a platform like that, even like yourself with this podcast, recognizes that and then gives you an opportunity to speak. And then next thing you know, you have a little resume, just like your resume for performing. Now you have a resume for speaking and then you can sort of actively seek out those opportunities in the same way that you would seek out a gig. I see. That makes sense. So now you have a little... A little history, even if it starts off as one, you all, all you need is one and then you get two and then you get three and then you say, hey, I, I've done these. Con- I spoke at these conferences and somebody might say, oh, I like that. Why don't you come and speak at my conference, too? 
So I, I understand that, that makes sense, just like everything else. So you you were a if I remember correctly, you were a spokesman for the gig salad uh, during that time. Is, is that something you're you're still associated with now? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, gig salad has become a really significant part of my business. And it's a great uh, it's a great avenue for artists looking for. Uh, some of those higher end gigs, the the private performances, the the weddings, and the corporate events, um, and it's uh, it's it's been great. And and they're really they're really sweet and really great people. The the gig salad team is um, just really heartfelt, and and you know you can just feel the integrity um, and the passion and the care that they have, both for artists and entertainers and speakers, and also for uh, the customers and, and the clients that, you know, that they connect with those artists. So nothing but good things to say about, about Mark and the whole gig salad team. How did you end up, uh, a spokesperson for the company and how'd you get so close to them in the first place? Yeah, basically a friend of mine, his name's Winship Wheatley, shout out to Winship. If you, he's got great music, check him out. Um, he, just in passing at sort of a impromptu, you know, jam session rehearsal was like, yeah, you know, I'm, um, his, his wife, uh, manages him and he's like, yeah, you know, she got me on this site and, uh, it's doing really well. So I, you know, you should check it out. And I said, okay, cool. So I signed up and, and checked it out and then, um, sort of made the leap of faith on, on paying the, the feature, you know, like for the, the, there's like different tiers of it basically. Um, and just to see what would happen. And next thing I know, you know, it just, it blew up and I was super busy. And then, and it, like I said, it became a significant part of my business. And then within, I'd say like six months to maybe a year, the company reached out to me and basically unbeknownst to me, you know, they were like, you know, you're one of the most prolific and successful people on our site. So we want you to come to Chicago just to be an example of, of someone who's using our service and who is having success with it. And I, you know, of course I said, yeah, sure. Absolutely. I'd love to go to Chicago. <laughs> um, and that's, and that's really where our relationship began. So I've, I have created an account myself and I learned that you must be good at negotiating, even even if you have a page. So, uh, what are your, what are some of your tips on how to actually close the deal? Because you get a lot of inquiries, but how do you close the deal? Give us some tips about that. A couple things. One, uh, in my experience, I would definitely get them on the phone. Um, you know, if you're confident in speaking to people, and you know, at the end of the day, in, in this day and age, people want a connection and they want something that's real. Um, and so that's, you have that in abundance, you know, just getting them on the phone, um, before you start getting into negotiating in my experience, it's sort of like, think about all, like any movie you've ever seen about business to business transactions. Like they always, and it's kind of funny and silly, but they like take the people out to dinner. And in some cases when it's like, you know, men and blah, 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 they like take them to the strip club or something. And they, they do some form of, relationship or team building before they get down to the nitty gritty of who's paying who what da 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 because you want to have a good rapport with the person and have at least some semblance of human to human trust 
before you start putting money down and, and even talking about money. <clears throat> so getting them on the getting the clients and the customers on the phone before you start getting into the numbers, um, if you can, is is a is one piece of advice. Uh, number two, based on your experience, try to put yourself at what you believe is a competitive competitive pricing for not only um, what it is that you're offering, but also where you live and what the associate, like what the economy is like where you live. You know, if you live in the South, for example, they're not going to have the sort of fee like money available to, that's what I mean. Houses are so much cheaper in the South. They're not going to have the money available to pay the same as say if they were in San Francisco, you know what I mean? That's a very different economy. So be aware of that. And then also when you're out there networking with the other artists and performers, talk to them, talk to the other people in your in your network of musicians and see what they're charging for a wedding or what they're charging for a private event and so on and so forth. And then experiment, you know, like you have to start, start somewhere that you think is good and, and do it for a month. And if you're getting a lot of pushback, then maybe lower it a little. And if you're getting a lot of like, Oh sure. Great. Perfect. Sweet. Then maybe try to push it a little bit and see what you can get. Just treat people fairly and professionally and, and, and responsibly and, be yourself, but be uh, be nice to people and, and treat them treat them with respect, and you'll get good results. Thanks a lot, Austin. We have a little over one minute left, and I just want to ask you your advice on this. Uh, sometimes we just play so much, we work so much, and then we forget why we started playing in the first place. It's not fun. So, uh, what advice would you give somebody who's stuck in the rut of gigging just to make ends meet, and they forgot why they started playing in the first place? Uh, it's a really good question, and that's something that I experienced, um, you know, after five or six years of gigging relentlessly. Um, you do, you start to burn out, and it starts to become, you start to become sort of unhappy with, with some of the things that you're having to do uh, to make ends meet. So that's why, again, I would say trying to, once you've got a hang of, you know, the basic gigging and you are covering your basic expenses, try to get into higher value gigs like the weddings and the private events and corporate events because that can bring down your frequency um, and, and like sort of the because I mean, music is, and, and the energy required to fill a room with music and to engage an audience, uh, even if it's passively, it's a tremendous amount of energy and sort of adrenaline that you go through in one evening of music. So if you're doing that four or five times a week, um, you really are certain sort of wearing down on your on your physiology. So try to move into uh, the higher paying gigs that require less um, less time and energy to do. That's one thing, just on a fundamental like don't overwork yourself sort of idea. The other thing I can say, uh, two things. One is make sure that you maintain balance in your life. Um, take care of yourself. Take care of your health take care of your relationships with your family and your friends and your spouses and your children and schedule time for them and respect that time so that you you're not one dimensional because that's not healthy and then go back to your roots i mean if if the reason that you got into music is because when you were going through hard things it gave you an outlet to create something that made those hard things feel a little better schedule and respect that too and 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 make time to create and do it for the sake of uh, of, for whatever reason that got you into music in the first place, you know what I mean? Stay connected to that. And I think if you can balance, you know, making uh, enough money to, to live, 
uh, maintaining healthy relationships with yourself and with your with your family and friends, and continuing to uh, connect to the root of music, to the soul of music that is what touched you in the first place and compelled you to do it. If you can do those three things, I think you can be both successful and and happy. Thanks a lot, Austin. That's great advice, and we're going to apply that. Thank you very much. We've enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you for making time for us today. I think people are going to really get some value and enjoy this episode. Thanks, Austin. You're welcome, Chris. Take care, man. And that's our talk with Mr. Austin Ellis. Austin, I know you're listening to the show. Thank you one more time for joining us. And normally at this point of the show, I'll do a recap. And this is really one thing I want to point out here. I want to illustrate is that Austin has a diligent work ethic. And one of the byproducts of that is that he's able to sell albums because he performs so often. Now, there, there are other ways to sell albums, and we have talked about that with John Ojaka here and in other episodes as well, Marquise Hill. But I just wanted to point that out, that he's performing so often that he's able to make album sales. And again, that's a byproduct of his diligent work. Uh, that's all. I want to ask you right now to go to BehindTheNote.com and click on the voicemail tab. Leave a message, and I'll play your question here on the show. And we'd love to hear from you. Next episode, we're going to hear from Mr. Thaddeus Ford, trumpet player, heart attack survivor, young man. You're not going to want to miss that story. It's a great episode. That's all for today. Until next time, God bless you and take care.